You are listening to Been There, Done That. We present some of the smartest people connected to the business of coffee. People who've succeeded in the tough grind of hospitality by staying ahead of the rest. So join us as we explore the secrets to their success and help you accelerate your business. This show is brought to you by The Coffee Commune, where the coffee community comes to collaborate. Enjoy the show. Hi, listeners. This is Phil DeBella on another episode of Been There and Done That, brought to you by The Coffee Commune. And today I have Alan Bonsall with me returning. Alan, welcome. Hi, good day, Philip. How are you? I'm um, any better. It'd be dangerous, I think. Uh, but uh, let's uh, today. The purpose of this, well, uh, hopefully you attended our February 19 event where we released the findings of a key paper that we did. But this episode, if you didn't get to attend, is going to have all the key findings and ideas and tricks and trips and everything that we're about, and we're going to discuss it over the next 45, 55 minutes with Alan. Um, who we put in charge of um, heading this up. But a uh, bit of background information before I hand over to Alan, who'll give you a snapshot of the key findings, is obviously we talk about the coffee commune as a facility that can produce coffee from one kilo right through to thousands, where people can come and roast their own, or we roast it for them, which makes it the most unique setup in the country. But the other side, which is where this falls under, is obviously the side of building a community. And, and I liken it to a hospitality chamber of commerce, where we talk about workshops and buying power through introductions to people, education, advocacy, even though I don't like the word of advocacy as such, but we're advocating on behalf of the industry. Uh, and um, this paper, which my wife, Jana DeBello, who heads up all of the the uh, membership portfolio and the commercial aspects of the business on that side, sat down with Alan and they strategized to develop a paper so that we got a clear study, an independent study of what the future for cafes in Australia look like. And um, the ground rules from my perspective was obviously it's got to be independent. It's got to be funded by us and not by government or or associations. So we get a very clear view. We had to go Australia-wide. So we get a really, really good snapshot of what the industry is doing and where it's going. And then for me, it's all about key fundamentals. And those that know me, it's all about black and white, you know, see it, say it, none of this talking in circles and riddles. So the brief was pretty simple. Keep it keep it straightforward, keep it meaningful. And then on the back of it is we start to build some strategies and ideas and profiles. And for us at the commune, um, the purpose of it is to build the next 12 months of events. And whether that's education events, that's meet and mingle events, that's meet supplier events, events or showcasing new products or workshops around masterclasses, which we've got coming up. That is the foundation and the purpose was this paper and how we can help people. So from the findings of this paper through to what we can do with it to help people accelerate their potential, that was the why for the Coffee Commune of why we wanted this to be done. The paper's titled The Future for Independent Cafes in Australia. So Alan Bonsall led the charge and he commissioned Nick Parfitt to do that is the director of of research works or 2003 research works and um, it's done on the Australian cafe market and it finalized in November 2023 so it is very very current there are a bit of the ground rules in what we set up and um, I'm going to hand over to Alan to give us a bit of an overview and, and of of the obviously the journey and what happened and what they found and then we'll start talking a bit about of um, the solution and what's next and and how you can uh, get more involved to ensure that we don't become one of those diabolical statistics that don't make it because what drives us at the coffee commune is to help people accelerate their potential what does that mean when we break it down they need to be efficient they need to be sustainable and then they need to be profitable because if you're 
efficient, you'll be profitable. And if you're profitable, you'll be sustainable. So that's our focus. That's our purpose. That's our why. Whatever you want to spin it, our objective, the Coffee Commune is all about um, ensuring that people in this industry have that longevity and survive. So Alan, welcome to the show and talk us through the uh, paper. Thanks, Philip. I, I, what you were saying before about the uh, the strategies that came out of this, it was important that we understand what we were wanting to achieve with this paper. And I think fundamental to that is is recognising that we needed to identify what are the critical issues that are facing, let's say, small business in general and how those relate, how those issues relate to what's happening with cafes. So we recognise that small business has problems, but we also know that cafes have particular problems. Are they the same or do we need to strategise differently from a small business, might be an engineering shop, to a cafe? So what we were doing was we weren't going out to ask a thousand people. What we were wanting to do was identify what are the critical issues that are already in the market that are already being strategized or worked on, and then see how they relate to the cafe. So we we took it in three stages. The first stage was to look at the challenges facing small business. The second phase was then to look at the challenges facing cafes. What's the differential? Where are the similarities? And then the third stage was to actually identify what are the opportunities that we can explore, that we can exploit on behalf of the Coffee Commune members. And that way we make sure it's not a talk fest and it's actually a working document of where we can add some meat and the substance. That right? has real value to the strategies we need to implement, as you were saying, whether it be workshops, whether it be training, whatever it might be, this is giving us good grist to that mill. But it also then establishes issues that we may want to explore further. It may set up an issue that we say, hey, hang on a second, we really don't know enough about that. So we can start to identify where we can best put dollars to actually expand, if you like, the whole research Mm -hmm, process. mm -hmm. So when you talk about advocating on behalf of uh, Coffee Commune members or the industry, we're actually advocating on issues that are really going to make a difference. We are looking at issues that are really going to make a difference. And the way we did that was to literally do a search of all of the papers, all of the the documents, the research papers, the the adre- the, the uh, if you like the articles, the academic papers that had been published twenty two twenty three, and we then from that point we were able to dig even further because what that search gave us was all of the core documentation. What we could then do was follow all of the links from that information to even further information. So we were able to keep on digging. What that finished up giving us was about eight, somewhere between eight and nine thousand, eight and a half thousand, nine thousand actual documents, papers that we were able to review. So data points as such. All of them data points. And what we could then do was dig into all of that and recognise what were the critical issues. And and that then gave us what this document is all really about, what this is actually presenting. And I think the most critical factor, the most critical finding that came out of all of this was simply stated like what people think are their real problems are not really their real problems. What they think 
priority-wise what they believe are the issues they're confronting, things like red tape. And in short, what that means is that if you fixed what they perceived were the issues, you still wouldn't move the dial. They still wouldn't be efficient, profitable, and sustainable. You're not changing a thing. All you're doing is just adding more noise to what is out there with lots of people saying, our problems are red tape, we've got too much. Our problems are the rising cost of living. We've got, you know, we can't control that. We can't do anything about that. It's always that sort of excuse, if you like, that's the easy cop-out. And that's what this paper demystifies. I believe so. And I, I really do believe it gives us a lot of what we've been talking about for a long time in terms of where the, the real issues are. And to my way of thinking, what this paper tells us is that the real issues are in the inability of so many small business operators to actually create customers, to actually know how to build their customer base. So it's not a case of saying, we can't, we can't fix the cost of living. We can't fix price, uh, prices that constantly go up. We can't do anything about the government changing red tape. We actually could do something about increasing the number of customers if we knew how. Okay, so let's push pause there for a second because I'll bottle that up. But before, to give the the listeners a snapshot, there's over 26,000 cafes in Australia. Yep with over 142,000 employees currently, which is an average of 5.5 employees per business. I saw a stat the other day that shows less than 1%. There's roughly 1 million businesses registered in Australia, 1 million businesses, less than 1% or around 1% have a turnover of more than $10 million. Therefore, the ads adage to that whole saying, and people might not understand that small business is the backbone of this country and that the numbers don't lie and show the importance of exactly what you've done with the paper and what we've done and what we're doing at the coffee communes just to set that landscape. And that's just the cafes, you know, but a million businesses registered in this country, which shows that we're quite entrepreneurial, quite spirited and have a go mentality, right? And only 1% of them are trading over 10 mil and 46% right now are not profitable. So just get your head around that. And now I just want to come back to unpack what Alan said. So problem one, the most pressing problem that I take from what you said and from reading the paper myself is that the number one problem that exists right now, that if you fix this, when we talk about problems, would move the dial, right? In my words would be that operators need to learn how to operate their business better that we've come from an era of people being able to fall into business because pre-COVID, we had a good runway of a good decade where low interest rates, cheap money, uh, most people were busy, everyone was out there. There was no major world events that, that, that changed the dial, especially not like COVID. And everyone, you know, and I look at our industry, about 60 to 70% of it has only been in business under the last 10 to 12 years. So most of them have not experienced hard times. So is it fair to say the number one problem is bottled up as lack of knowledge, lack of ability, whatever it is currently to operate a business. So shorten it even further. We need to be teaching people how to operate a business better. Yep. Absolutely. And and you've you've hit the nail right on the head. What we have in in this country, so let's just put some facts out there as you have already done, but let's talk about small business. 
What the ABS or the Australian Bureau of Stats and the tax office call small to medium-sized business is any business with less than 19 employees. So anything, sorry, that's small, anything over 19, so 20 plus, anywhere between 20 and 100 employees is classified as medium. Small business, which is where every single one of the cafes that we're talking about Every single one of those sits in that bracket, which is classified as small business, under 19 employees. Now, the majority of people who set up a small business do so because they are very, very good at something. Whatever that something is, it might be an auto mechanic, it could be any number of things, but they are very, very good. They're very talented and they are better than the competition. What happens in small business, though, is once you remove that person, from their core skills. So every time you employ somebody, you are actually moving one step further away from what your core skill sets are. Now, this is not something new. This is Harvard Business uh, School have been doing, plotting this for a long, long time. And what it shows is that every step you take to grow, you're actually moving yourself away from the skills that you have. So unless you are upskilling yourself, unless you are constantly recognizing the business skills that you need. As you rightly say, this is not about standing still. This is about how you grow the business. But the majority of people who go into small business don't have those skill sets. They haven't run a business before. Many people are setting up businesses as an alternative to employment, particularly after COVID. So many people have set up a business. That's complicated by the fact that since COVID, the number of cafes, the number of people setting up a business has just gone through the roof. It has escalated beyond all measure. And again, not all of them and most of them don't have the skill set to operate the business. don't have the skill set. And just because you're a technical, and I always said this, just because you're a great chef doesn't mean you can run a restaurant. Just because you're a great barista doesn't mean that you're going to make a great business owner. And just because you're a, a lawyer doesn't mean that you can run a major firm. It's there. It's right in front of us. Now, let's unpack still problem number one because, you know, we're, as we're, there's going to be three major things that we're going to tackle. But the first one is obviously the lack of operation skill. So in particular, where are we seeing the lack of operation? One is obviously business knowledge and operating skills of a business, as you said, becoming one removed just gets you away from that skill set that you might be. So you move away from being a barista to actually now employing a barista and you now have to run the business in terms of food offerings or marketing. So let's go to the next one then. And and this is one that I'll put on the table, Alan, that that I got from the paper was that in that sweet time of that 10 to 12 years prior to COVID, you'd open your doors and people would virtually walk in or people would tell uh, your story for you. So the problem that I say there is, and then what we used to operate on was we used to teach our teams and say, sell more to the same audience. you got plenty of people walking in your door. There's plenty of disposable income with low interest rates and, and things work going great. Sell them more. So upsell. So we used to say, if they come in for a coffee, sell them a croissant. If they're, if they're buying a ham and cheese croissant, how do you sell them a bacon and eggs? And, and there's a real definitive strategy around that. The study shows me from my unpacking of it, and I want your insights into it, that now it's a time that people have got less disposable income, and this is not opinions, these are facts, less disposable income. So the strategy now has to be completely different. The strategy has to be, how do we get more people in our door? Yet we've got 10 or 12 years of trading history where people are used to, hey, I just open my door and I get them to spend more. Now we're seeing the opposite. Let's talk through that because that 
to me is another major part of how to operate a business is now's the time to be getting more people in the door so that you can maintain your revenue, let alone grow it. No question at all that the number of cafes opening post-COVID has has increased dramatically. But the number of customers coming to those cafes, cafes has actually declined. So nothing marries, nothing is keeping track in terms of what you would expect business or the marketplace to be doing. So when we have a situation where the number of customers is falling, absolutely what you're saying, we have to then drag more customers into the business. But the fundamental of creating customers, of building customers, are market skills that the majority of people never get when they're working in their own profession or in their own business or what their own skill set. So what we've really got to firstly recognize is that if you don't have a clear appreciation of how to build a brand, how to differentiate that business from everybody near you, and let's not kid ourselves, the volume of cafes now operating in this state and across the country means that you have more competition than you've probably ever had to confront before not just on your street, the next street, on every corner, there's going to be somebody competing with you. If you don't understand your brand, if you don't understand what differentiates you, what is going to be the value that your customer wants from you as a as a, a different place to experience or a better place to experience, you're not going to have those extra customers coming in the door. So as you rightly say, cost of living is increasing exponentially. People can't have the dollars that they had pre-COVID. They just don't have that mm. available disposable funding. So if we're not smart, if we're not market smart, we're not going to get there. Yeah. So the first thing we have to understand, I believe, is that you've got a plan from the outside in. We've talked about this in so many times in so many different forums. If you start planning from the outside in, what you're doing is you're planning from a customer perspective, you're understanding what that customer wants, what that customer needs, how that customer views you or doesn't view you, and what you have to do to change that current perception. Now, the majority of people don't have that skill set. They don't understand the differential because most people are planning from a product point of view. Yeah. So we have a product, it's a cafe, it has a coffee machine, it has food. What then can make the difference between what you are doing and what somebody down the street is doing? Yeah. It's that to me is the first skill that we have to get people to understand. Yeah, and that's why we, we bottle it up as a sh as a skill shortage. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about some solutions in a minute. But the, the the summary of what Alan's saying is is a model that I've implemented in 22 years of owning businesses all over the world in small and some medium and some extremely large, like your Debella Coffee and now your Coffee Commune, is step one is – what problem am I solving? So I see cafes coming to me. In 2023, last year, part of our success, when I say we had a successful year, was I would have deterred about 50 operators from opening a cafe and 48 of them probably would have gone broke, which is to me a success because that's 48 or 50 people now that didn't lose their money. Why? Because when they came to me and I said to them, step one is what problem do you solve? They weren't solving a problem. 
And that means from the customer, from the outside in of what Alan's talking about. They might have been solving their income or they're supercharging their income or thinking they're going to or they're getting a better lifestyle. They're thinking they're getting a better lifestyle. Everything came from what Alan was saying. The The problem they were actually solving was their problem, but they're not putting money in their own pocket. What problem are you going to solve for your customer? And we're talking specific hospitality, but this is any business model I found. So key takeaway from this, step one, what problem do I solve from a customer's perspective? Are you going to be paleo rich? Are you going to be vegan? Are you sourcing your products from only a hundred kilometer radius? Are you only using local business owners to boost up your business? You know, what is the problem you're actually going to solve? Step two, is what makes you more relevant than anybody else. Because unlike somewhere like Italy, you before you get a permit to open a cafe, they will not give you a permit next to another cafe if that cafe is empty. If they're busy and overflowing, they will grant a permit. So they regulate to, to a certain extent of how many businesses open in a certain district so that they're not setting people up for failure. However, in Australia, we don't have that luxury. You can have a street with 24 cafes on it. So my my go-to number two, I say to people is, if you closed your doors today, where would your customers go tomorrow? And have a think about that. And again, this relates to any business, not just a cafe. Right? So let's just say you get past hurdle number one. You've, you've identified the problems you're going to solve in your area, whether there's no great seafood shop, there's no great steak shop, there's no great pizza shop, there's no vegetarian cafe. You've solved the problem, you've picked the problem, you've honed in on the problem, and you're away. Step two is, how are you going to become so relevant that if you actually closed your doors today, your customers would struggle to go anywhere tomorrow? And then third part, which we're going to segue into nicely, which was part of the the um, the problems that you found in this study uh, from a business owner's perspective is, once you get the problem right, you get the strategies and everything and the products and the service and whatever it is that makes you more relevant than anybody else, step three is where I see the biggest hurdle in a lot of businesses is how are you going to market that? How are you going to tell that story so compelling that it engages people to come to you? Because people do not know what they don't know. And if you're a great chef doing great food that solves problems, that's more relevant than anyone else. But if you're not telling anybody, then you are not going to succeed. And I bring it back to Debella Coffee because everybody understands that brand, knows that brand from zero, humble beginnings in 2002 to the largest specialty company in the country, exiting at 2017 for a record 12-time multiple was why because that was the model that I used. We did not solve the problem of coffee. We helped cafe owners make money. We built systems, processes, strategies, service capabilities so good that we didn't operate. Our tagline was, and we registered the words, it's not just a bag of beans. 2,000 companies are selling beans. We're selling service. We're helping cafe owners make money. We built systems and processes in place so relevant that if we closed down, people would have to go back to just choosing a bag of beans from somebody else. Uh, they wouldn't get everything else with it. And then what we did, I think, better than anybody else that, that really accelerated our growth was we told the story. We were marketing animals. We were savvy. We didn't talk bullshit. We talked real stuff, but we marketed sharper, crisper, clearer than anyone else. And the byproduct of all that was we became the biggest and we scaled. And I just want to use that tangible experience. Those three-step processes, if you take nothing else away from this, except that it's not about red tape, it's about operating, being the best operator you can be, start with that paradigm. Step one, step two, and step three. What problem am I solving? How am I more relevant than anybody else in my that competes with me? And how do I tell the story better and clearer than anyone else? Alan, let's segue nicely over to the next one. 
Well, I think one of the things that we really need to touch on, and, and it's an important issue, it's the vulnerability of small business because small business is obviously much more vulnerable than big business. There are less skills. There, there is less um, talent within a small business than there is in a large business. You can rely on managers. You can have line managers in all sorts of areas of expertise. The majority, again, we go back to the point we were making earlier, but it's still, it's still a key issue that people, I think, are not getting. You need to be asking questions. You need to be seeking support and assistance. What you were talking about a minute ago, Philip, in terms of the way Debella positioned themselves and the, or, or yourselves, the way that the Debella business grew was by helping people through problems that they didn't have experience with. Correct. We're still looking at exactly the same problem with small business. And I think the fundamental of Coffee Commune the whole purpose of the coffee commune is to provide that expertise, is to provide that advice, that that go-to place where people can get that support. Whether it's whether it's support in HR, whether it's uh, some of the legal issues, whatever it might be, what we've got to understand is that small business is far more vulnerable than large business will ever be. It is unlikely that fifty well. It's not unlikely. The facts are 50% of business that starts up today will not still be in existence in five years' time. Why? Because I suspect ego has a lot to play. I think there are real questions that small business owners need to be asking. They need to open themselves up to that sort of advice. Get through that issue of saying, I can do it on my own. I'm clever at this and recognize we're not. One of the things that when you talk about telling the story, when we talk about communicating that brand, one of the things that really came through loud and clear to me in this survey or in this work was our inability to understand all of the the nuances of IT, of technology, of how technology can advantage us. And I'm not talking about labor saving. I'm talking about a whole range of IT. We lag behind the US and Canada, the UK, when it comes to our appreciation of and our ability to maximize the, the, the value, if you like, of IT. We're, we're not even close. And yet, when we start talking about how do we tell people about our story, how do we actually communicate with people, it's all there. IT is going to be one of the most critical components of doing that. Yet, how many people have skills? We're talking about the average age of cafe owners in this country in excess of 50. They're not they're not IT savvy. They're not people who are clever in that space. So again, what are they doing? Are they asking questions? Are they looking for help? Or are they just blindly falling into AI? And that's where you can start to see, guys, it all starts with the operating skills. And the next one, if we put it, is, is brand and storytelling is the lack of skills and focus and use of tools is a good way to summarize it, of creating brand or understanding brand, but more importantly, telling your story. 
Brand, I always say, is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And one of the key ways to storytelling is to have other people tell your story for you. But what messages are you bottling up? What key takeaway grabs, whatever you want to call it, are you giving your customers and what opportunity or incentive are you giving them to tell other people about the great work that you do? You know, that's obviously finding key number two from my perspective. The first one's the operating skills. The second one was the inability for people to, to tell the brand or storytell what actually makes them, you know, what problems they solve and what relevant uh, they have in the market. What it again highlights, and I think, again, we've talked about this in so many different forums, what it highlights to me is the lack of understanding that most small business operators have of their customers. So you were talking earlier about customer need. You were talking about how you differentiate. People don't even know how to go and ask customers what they need, how they want things presented. So again, what we're talking about when you look at the brand The successful operator is going to be the person who understands their customer better than the competition, guaranteed. But understanding the customer is not just what age they are, what demographic. Understanding the customer is about what's going on inside their head relative to what you're offering. How do you understand that? And again, what we have with IT is the facility to understand that better than we've ever had before. So again, I think what this what this paper is reinforcing in my mind are those things that we have recognized from a brand perspective, from a customer need perspective, reinforcing the inability or the the, the lack of understanding from the small business operator as to the importance of those things, yeah. as to how critical they are in driving a successful business. Well, what was scary for me, Alan, is over the study found over 70% of small businesses don't have a formal marketing plan, yep. you know, which is just crazy. You know, they say things like lack of time, lack of funds to invest, or like, you know, the owner may be too close to the subject and, and, and doesn't see it through the eyes of the customer, which is resonating constantly. And I've always built my business around that. You build it from the outside in, not from the inside out. Um, and they're not grabbing the tools at their disposal. I mean, we've got some great members here at the commune like Pezo and Restoke. And, you know, these are all solutions and digital technologies that help you yep. in your business, whether it's reading your um, budget, telling you real life data about where your costs are. What does it cost you to build a, a recipe? These are, you know, these are things that we have access to here at the commune. And part of why, and, and people are going to say, is it drumming up the commune? Well, no, that's why I built the commune, was on the back of providing solutions to these problems. And we going to talk more about it after, you know, specifically through workshops and all through different stuff. But a big one through is through our membership base. You know, people that have partnered here help you solve problems. And we've got tools in in place, especially around the brand and the storytelling. Again, we'll talk about that after. Let's segue into the next one, Alan, which is what people, you know, was the second most blamed is costs. Now, this is the first time I've been in hospitality for 34 years, went into business on my own 22 years ago. This is the first time in my history in hospitality that I've seen every single good and service go up at the same time. Let's be clear about that, which again, you'll see how these all cascade to each other and create a tsunami, not a waterfall. So if this is the first time in 34 years that I've seen everything go up at the same time, there's never been a more important time to actually be an exceptional operator of skills. And the last time that I saw tough times was around just post GFC, around the aftermath of GFC for our industry was around 2009, 2010. And that was the interest rates shot up, the dollar dropped down dramatically. We had that beautiful parity period and it dropped down to 70 cents, um, which is a 30% cut straight away when you're importing products. And we're a country of imports, let's face it. 
interest rates were okay, but there was a lot of changes around and there was a staff shortage as well with people moving around. And that was the last time that I can predict a, you know, a, a tough time. And this one's tougher again because of your COVID and the aftermath of that and the cost of money. But more in particular, the third part of this study found that all costs have gone up at the same time. Let's talk us through that part. Well, again, I, I think cost is an issue that we we really don't manage our way through operational costs. Again, what I think happens, and, and I think this paper reinforces that, is that we're too locked into many of the traditional thoughts, many of the ways that we did things. So we're trying to solve problems the way we might have solved it five, 10 years ago. And it's no longer, that's not an efficient answer. And when you look again at the Coffee Commune members or you look at some of the partners, what you recognise is that the, the thinking that's going on the, the, the solutions that are being discovered and, and worked on, it's, it is no longer an efficient operation that is trying to manage process the way that we've always managed process. Yeah, correct. We have got to start being more creative. We've got to start looking for better ways to do things. Yeah. This is not about trying to find a cheaper product. This is about finding a more efficient way of doing something. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'll give you an example. The other day I was talking to one of our uh, members who's got two cafes and they said, they don't look now at the traditional numbers, you know, 30% cost of um, 30% wages. And if you probably, scary thing is if you go on the ATO website guidelines, they've probably got the same, I hope I'm wrong, They're probably, but they're probably still quite in the old figures. But um, to give you an example, it used to be 30, 35% wages. It used to be 20, 25% cost of goods, 10% GST. Utilities was something you paid, you didn't budget for. Now it's, you know, a good five to 8% of your, you've got to allow for it. And you start to see that we're running out of percentages. However, I can't tell you of anyone that I know, and I know plenty of businesses, and I'm talking in the thousands across Australia, that are running 30 or 35% wages in hospitality. The average right now is sitting at around 45%. So what are these two operators doing? This, what's this operator doing that's got two shops that is that is doing still going strong, but understands that now is not a time to be making profits they were five, six years ago, which is number one. Their expectation is realistic. But the fundamental is this. They've said, if I increase my cost of goods by bringing in stuff that is par-bake, high quality, good value, but it's par-bake, my cost of goods is going to go up 2%, but my wages is going to come down 5%. And that is a tangible example for listeners to understand. They're not running, to Alan's point, business the way they used to run it five, six years ago, which was try and get to 35% wages, try and run at 20% you know, cost of goods. They've now gone, hang on, I'm okay with paying 2 3 or 4% more for my cost of goods if it moves the dial on my wages. This is what I call, and these boys have been in business for 20 years. There you go. They started in 2004. 20 years, they've, had, they've got two cafes, and number one, point to take out is that they're realistic about what they're doing. They're still making a bit of profit, talk, call it 5 or 6%, but they're not expecting 15% profit because they are not the time for that. But more importantly, these guys have said costs, costs have gone up for everybody. This is now a time for me to kick in and be an operator and really understand on how I can move the dial. So don't 
run the businesses like you did five, ten years ago, which is Alan's point, and here's an example of how, because otherwise these boys would still be, they'd be treading water because you can't get your labour down under 40% without doing something that moves the dial with your cost of goods or your ingredients, you know, and electricity and gas, sorry, you can't do anything about that. They're not in our control. You can't do anything about GST. The two areas that you can really move the dial is wages or cost of goods, you know, and then some have got flexibility in rent. So this is just some snapshots and examples of one on how the coffee commune helps its members, but two things to be across that this study came out of. So remember that, and I want to reiterate that point, especially in hospitality, your labor, your cost of goods and your rent are the only flexible things that you can play with. You can't play with your utilities because you don't control them and you don't control the GST component. So start to learn and get around and understand those concepts because you'll start to see how everything flows because the costs have gone up for everybody. There's an underpinning thought, I think, not only in this paper, but in everything you've been talking about, comments that I've been making, and it's about trust. I think there is a, a real issue in in particularly in small business, and one of the reasons why small business is vulnerable. Again, we go back to that idea that there are limited skills within small business because we only have ourselves, a couple of people, whatever it might be. It is all too easy to walk to work in the business as opposed to on the business. It's the oldest saying in the book, but it's one that still resonates. Yeah. It's still there. If you've got your hands around a coffee cup or if you're working the, uh, the, the, the coffee machine, you are not doing yourself any favours in terms of how to think outside that square, how to create opportunities. And the one thing I would add to what Philip's saying is, I think there are some areas where you have to trust because if you trust people to give you the right advice, there are savings to be made around IT. There are savings to be made around how you tell the story. There are savings to be made around energy and power, but they're not in terms of cutting your bill. They're in terms of thinking smarter and thinking outside the square so you're finding better solutions for what you're doing. Correct. And one of the things we're trying to do there at the commune, as you know, is is part of the buying group, right? We bring on partners and um, as members and, and we say to them, we don't want kickbacks. We don't want shares of your business. They pay us a membership per year to get in front of people. And we've brought people in like that, lawyers, accounts, insurance brokers, people like Pezo, Restoke, you know, Mulaney Dairy, all sorts of stuff. People that p- supply fruit and veggies like Big Michael's. And what we do with that is we're trying to create the community where well, we have, not trying to now, three years in, we've created a community where we want suppliers to look after the customers. And that's our strategy at the commune to help people with their increased costs. But the biggest problem we're faced here, Alan, is that when we is that people say, I don't have the time to come to an event, or I don't have the time to research a new supplier, or I don't have the time. Well, you better make the time because you might have a lot more time on your hands than what you think when your business goes broke. And sorry, but I've got to hit people between the eyes sometimes and say, guys, what you say you don't have time to do is like being overweight and saying, I want to get healthy, but I don't have time to go to the gym. You know, then that sounds, people go, well, that's a pretty stupid example. No, it's not because I was one of those people. Oh, I want to lose weight, but I'm not making the time to make sure that I am getting healthy, right? How many people are complaining about their costs? They're complaining about things. I don't have the skills. I don't have the time. But then it comes back to, I don't have the time. You better make the time, make the time, make the time, or you'll have more time on your hands than you bargained for. And unfortunately, with no money in your bank account. Now's not a time for excuses. It's a time to get going. And it's time for people like myself, hate it, love it 
you choose. I'm not here to be loved. I'm here to try and help people be better tomorrow than today, right? My my mandate is not fill Mr. Popularity, love me. My mandate is how am I helping you accelerate your potential? Part of that is we've got to tell people what they need to hear, whether it's don't open that shop. Why the hell are you expanding? Now's not a time for super profits. Be realistic, be real, and come on, let's get through this together with the community. And that's what the coffee commune, I can't say it enough. If you don't have the time, make the time. Because one thing I say to people, is the following, Alan. People think that you rub the magic Buddha or you listen to a podcast or you read the book and you're going to be successful. No, there's a step between that and that is you got to do the work. It, it's sobering to ask the question, why do 50% of small business fall over within five years? Why? And the obvious answer is they're not getting smarter. They're just doing things the way they've always done it and they expect things to happen and they're Mm. not going to. Correct. So let's recap before we get to the last one. Operating skills, this is all the stuff that came out of the paper that Alan led the charge with. Operating skills, brand and storytelling, increased costs, all things that the Coffee Commune has programs and all the rest that are available, jump on our website, coffeecommune.com.au under events, especially, but not just events. There's events, there's advocacy section there that talks about things we're moving the dial on. There's feedback. There's all sorts of stuff that are happening to try and help people. Why? What's our why? To help accelerate your potential. In particular, how? To make you a better operator, to give you those operating skills, to give you those tools around telling your story. And Alan's about to run a workshop um, in March around that whole thing, um, around marketing and brand and telling story. And get amongst the group for that buying power. Reach out. We've got a WhatsApp needs and wants um, group that people put up what they're looking for and we match you up with the right supplier. No rebates, no kickbacks back to us so that we don't convolute. Let's get to the last one, which is something that we are really doing some heavy lifting on. And then we'll finish up with Alan talking about some, some key strategies also. Alan, the red tape. Red tape is like scaling. It's a byproduct. Red tape is not the problem. It becomes the problem. The problem here, correct me if if I'm wrong, is government decision-making. And I expand that further and say, let's give government the benefit of the doubt, which I I do believe this. Most of the time, their intention is good, but their execution is poor. And that can be local, that can be state, and that can be federal. And this is not government bashing. And it's definitely not um, political party bashing because they've all done it from all sides at all levels. And I'm going to give some practical examples. Government decision-making, whilst the intention might be good, the execution can be poor. And what's the solution? It's a simple solution, which I do a lot of work on. And I always get asked, why do you bother? Why do you bother? Because as Gandhi says, I want to be part of the change I want to see in the world. And remember, the change I'm looking for here is efficiency, profitability, therefore sustainability in our industry. So government decision-making, right? The intention could be good. The execution could be poor. What's the solution? Governments at all level, we encourage and keep encouraging to reach out to industry experts, reach out to people like me, to people in the, you know, that have been in business for 22 years in the specific industry, same with construction, same with anything else, you know, same with manufacturing, same with IT, whatever it is, reach out to those that have got proven track record, that have been around longevity, that have navigated the ups and downs and the flows and woes that happen in business. Don't go making decisions without understanding the tsunami that you are causing. And the one I use of recent is we went from a 20 hour restricted work week visa prior to COVID, 
the current government at the time reached out to me, federal government said, Phil, what can we do for your industry? And I said, we, we've got a shortage of workers. People are leaving. People are going back. Some are forced to. Please increase the 20-hour capping. And it was done within a week. And we all of a sudden ease some pressure off operators with the visas. New federal government comes in and back go the restrictions back to 24 hours a week at a time that we're running 3% unemployment. Now, let's take the benefit of the doubt. The intention of the government is to create more jobs for Australians and make sure that we're employed. I get it. Very good intention. But that problem doesn't exist when unemployment's at 3%. It's quite the opposite. I took it one step further and said to the government and still keep advocating for major changes in this area for all industries. How can, not only is it at 3% and people are struggling to find workers and you've just limited the workforce from a 40-hour week or 37-hour week to a 24-hour week if they've got international visas, how do you expect these people to survive in a country earning 24 hours a week wages? And this was something that falls on, you know, some of them are just dumbfounded and I think they're still processing it. This is not my opinion. These are facts, right? This is my ability to go data analysis strategy. There's the data. The analysis is how do you survive on 24 hours work week? How does an employer survive on trying to employ people, especially in the hospitality industry or even the construction industry, on 24 hours a work week? What's the strategy? Work with industry that is suffering low unemployment has is shortage of workers, work with those industries and give them some slack and open up the visas. Mm. Now, unless people like the commune and other people are out there, we're not alone on this, are out there advocating, not fighting. I don't like the word fighting with government. It's not going to happen. What's the simple solution? Local, state and federal government need to talk to industry experts. And on the positive side, uh, we've got a very active Lord Mayor here in Brisbane, he reached out straight away at COVID time, said, what can we do for your industry? We've got pressure on costs. We've got pressure on getting more people to venues because people aren't out. You know, so he made the metered parking. He froze the meters. He put a, a pause on outdoor dining permits. He had a pause on other fees and licensing fees and payment plans in place and all the rest of it. So they did what they could do at a local level to make it happen. Why? Because they got a hold of industry people and said, what can we do to help? So, you know, long-winded, I know, but the key solution there and I wanted the listeners to really understand this is not government bashing. It gets us nowhere. And I think that's the problem, Alan, is before I hand over to you, the problem is that people have bashed government for so long and used excuse of red tape and hidden behind that. You know, what actually is red tape? To me, red tape is government's inability or in unwillingness of working with industry experts before they make a decision so that they understand the true implication of the decision they are making. Yeah, all too often ideology drives rather than reality. But I think what this report is saying very clearly is we are spending a lot of time worrying that red tape is our problem. When you worry about something, you're taking yourself and you're distracting yourself from the real problem. So stop worrying about red tape. If there is nothing you can do about red tape, there's no point worrying about it. Get onto something which is going to be constructive as far as your business is concerned. Learn how to create more customers. That's a far better use of your time and energy than worrying about whether you can solve red tape issues. But one of the other things that I want to say here, Philip, is that what I believe this paper gives us is it identifies for us what we need to be doing next, what we should be looking for to expand this work. Perfect. This is a beginning. I mean, for goodness sake, this is not going to solve all the problems of the world. All it's doing is highlighting for us 
the issues that we should be focusing on. So let's bring it back to what I talk about. The data part was over eight and a half, nine slash 9,000 data points collected. The analysis is what's taken, obviously, it's been done by Nick, by yourself, by myself, yep. by others around, team of experts yep. that have done the analysis. Now let's talk strategy. What do the strategies need to be, Alan? I think there are a couple of very simple things that we just talked very briefly about. The first is we've got to cultivate customer loyalty. That's absolutely critical. How do we cultivate customer loyalty? We do things that they're looking for us to do, which will differentiate us from somebody else, from the competition down the street. We've got to reach out and attract new customers because we don't have enough of them. And there are less customers today than there were even four years ago before COVID. So we have to create more customers. How do we create more customers? We listen. We learn a lot more about our customers. We start to understand our customers better. And we can do that because we have the technology that gives us access to those people. And in particular, we, we change price points, right? On the back of that, as an example, the bacon and egg used to be the number one selling product. It's now the ham and cheese croissant yep. because you're talking a $16 price point down to an $8.50 or $8.90 price point, you know, on the back of what Alan's saying. So therefore, what you've got to do is listen to your customer, get the information, and then you've got to build your product strategy and your pricing strategy accordingly. Relevant to them. You've got to improve your image. You've got to learn the value of brand. You've got to understand that a brand is a very complex, but a very, very critical advantage for your business to grow. And I mean, I spent my life working with brands and I've seen some very, very powerful brands and I've seen some very dumb brands. But at the end of the day, it's what the brand does for your business that you're investing in. You've got to increase revenue and owner earnings. There's no question. Everybody has to do that, no matter what the business, no matter where. But how can you do that? You can't do that if you're going to continue to use outdated, old-fashioned methodology, outdated, old-fashioned thinking that probably was fantastic 20 years ago, 15 years ago, but it is no longer relevant in the current market. Yeah. And finally, you've got to stop spending your time on things that are not going to turn a dollar. You have got to invest your time on the business by thinking about the business, by strategizing the business. Strategy is not something out of reach. Strategy is very simple. Setting marketing objectives is very simple. Setting the strategies to achieve those marketing objectives is very straightforward. Come to the workshops that we're running. We'll give you those sorts of uh, ideas. We'll, we'll show you how to do that. But that's what you've got to start doing. Yeah. You've got to be thinking outside the square constantly. Again, and if you don't make the time, you're going to have a lot more time that you don't want on your hands with nothing to show for it. And that is not something that we want. It's not what I want at the Coffee Commune. It's not what any decent human wants. And I don't believe it's what the government wants is people failing. We want people succeeding, thriving, and not just surviving. However, at the moment, a lot of people are just barely surviving. Can I make, take the time to make this point? And I just want you to put it all together. Uh, a great go, two points I want to make, Alan, and I'll hand over to you, is firstly, jump on the website, coffeecommune.com.au. It's the reason we've spent a fortune. Today. 
and still don't make any money, which is fine because I want to run that side of the business like a non-for-profit. The more money it makes, the more we put into programs and systems and education. But get on that website and see what we are doing. What's coming up at the Coffee Commune? We have Alan's workshop, four-hour branding and marketing workshop. We have Jono Dawes, who's now Jono Kotsis, one of the number one visual merchandisers in this country, speaking at a breakfast that you need to be across. Other events coming up, the four pillars of marketing in your small business with Lisa Burke. We have that many different events. And what we've done with our events is quarter one of this calendar year is all about marketing and branding. Quarter two will be about business performance. These are the themes. Quarter three will be all about people, internal and external. And quarter four will be about business development. And these are the the overarching topics that have come out of this document that we've really honed in at the Coffee Commune. We don't just turn up and say, we're now going to develop an event or we're going to do a podcast. It is measured. It is there to solve problems. It is relevant. And we tell the story and we follow our own model. And the last thing I'm going to say for a handover to you, Alan, and we wrap it up is this. My analogy of this whole thing we're doing, whether it's this podcast, this paper, the whole coffee commune is, and I push my team about this and I push anyone we work with, with like Alan and Alan's worked with me for over 14, 15 years now, is our responsibility is to put the food on the table like a buffet. Your responsibility is to turn up to that table and then not just turn up, but grab the food that you want and you need and you eat. Think about that analogy, because how many people are actually putting something on the table for you to grab? How many people are actually showing up and how many people are actually executing by taking that food and eating it? I can guarantee you that if you surround yourself with people like the commune and other businesses and other people that are doing the same thing, but you surround yourself with the buffet, you pull your seat up to that buffet and you actually grab what you need and you eat it, that you will be successful. And right now, success could be survive my business. It could be make some profit. It could be to grow, whatever it is. But the alternative is we don't want you to fail. Alan? I think the best summary is, is, is literally to, to recognize that we are blaming the wrong things for why business is not succeeding. And that to me comes out loud and clear in, in this document, in, in this report. The workshop that Philip's talking about in a, in a few weeks' time is absolutely about the fundamentals of marketing, but it focuses on how to create customers. It talks about how you need to rethink the way you go about getting more customers in your business because fundamentally that is going to make the difference. No price, no, no cost cutting, no trying to cut corners. None of that is going to make the difference that creating more customers will make. Yeah. And it's about moving that dial. Alan, fantastic. To the listeners, you obviously got the Been There, Done That episode if you're listening to this. The document itself is and will be on our website. So you'll be able to see it at thecoffeecommune.com.au and see the um, information that's in it. It's very detailed. It is really, really well laid out with the backstory and the why and the stats and the figures and the keys to survival and customer-focused outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. So it's in there. It's a 
full comprehensive presentation that's been laid out brilliantly. Alan, I thank you. I thank Nick for doing an amazing job. I thank Jana, my wife, who's just exceptional. And I really urge you, you've got to do the work. My closing point is you want to be successful, you've got to do the work. You've been listening to Phil DeBella and Alan Bonsall. Alan, thank you again. Thanks, Philip. That's great. Been there and done that. Both of us have been there and done that. We want you to be there and do that. And we certainly don't want you to fail. Until next time, go and be the best you can be.